chapter 6. We've been in a series through the Gospel of Mark where we've walked through the life of Christ. And today, uh, before I read this, I want to kind of give you a little theological background and and try to hopefully put this in terms that even our kids can understand. Um, uh, There's things called sandwiches. Um, You have sandwich, and a sandwich has bread, and it has meat, and then it has on top of that bread. Theologians call what we are about to read a Markin sandwich, to where there is a story about something. You, you, you immediately flip the script and talk about something different, and then you go back to what you were talking about before. We, we've already been going through this. If you remember, um, the daughter who was sick, the dad comes up to Jesus is like, hey, my daughter is dying. Can you, can you help? All of a sudden, the story flips, and it goes to the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus heals, and then the story goes back to um, Jairus' daughter, and so that's kind of what we call like these sandwiches. Mark is an incredible writer, and he does this throughout his gospel where he'll talk about something and then immediately talk through something else, then go back to what he was talking about. And so for our sake this morning, Mark is going to talk about sending out the disciples. And then immediately after he talks about this, this, the sending out of the disciples, he talks about King Herod Now, um, and John the Baptist. Now, parents, just breathe for a second. I'm not about to talk about that story this morning in front of your children, okay? Um, if you don't know that story, it's a horrific, terrifying story, and I don't want to give your kids nightmares, and I don't want your children coming to my house at night and you blaming me for that story. So we'll wait for that next week. Thank God, and all the parents should have said amen. And so it goes from it goes from, from story of Jesus sending out the 12, then Jesus weirdly talking about uh, John the Baptist and what happened to that poor brother, and then it goes back to uh, Jesus and the 12 that were sent out. So that's kind of the context of where we are. So Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7. The verses are on your screen this morning. And he called the 12. And he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them not to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles then returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Can we pray one more time over the reading of God's word this morning? Holy Father, we thank you again, Lord, for the life you have given us. Lord, we thank you for the words that we just read. Although it was my voice, it was your word that was spoken, God. We pray that it would be mighty to save, that you would be uh, mighty to draw us closer to you, Lord. And may we feel the urgency of the call of the gospel in these passages. And we thank you for everything that you are doing in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, how we kind of have an overview of ministry and an overview of how Jesus kind of facilitated things is, is really, a, this is kind of a foundational piece to that. It's kind of giving us this guide of what it looks like to be a minister of the gospel, really kind of what it looks like to follow after Christ. So this is Jesus calling the called ones and giving them a calling uh, to go be sent out and some work to do. And so Jesus is delegating to his chosen uh, to his chosen guys. And so he's got 12 guys, all right? These are 12 men that Jesus hand-selected. And if you'll notice in this text, you find some things that are weird. Jesus telling him, like, don't take no bread, don't take a bag, don't take your tunic, don't, you know, just your sandals, just this is all you need to take. Now, what we can identify from this is there's this idea in Scripture of descriptive and prescriptive. All right, you, you know what that is, right? Like, like I'm, if, I, if it's descriptive, it's Jesus or the Word of God kind of describing something in nature of what to do. If it's, pre, it's charismatic church already, we've got somebody running around, praise the Lord. Uh, if, it's, if it's prescriptive, um, it's just something that um, Jesus is telling or giving us this prescription to do. So let me give this, break this down in a way that hopefully makes a little bit better sense. Um, if Jesus is telling them just to wear this, don't wear that, that's not for us. He's talking directly to the 12 disciples. It, Jesus is not telling you when you go out, don't carry a bag, don't carry a loaf of bread. Now, who carries a loaf of bread anyway? I mean, I, I, maybe if you're from the South, they may do that. I don't know. They carry hot sauce. Uh, my wife carries hot sauce in her purse. Um, but like, 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 this is not telling us that these are the things we have to do. But there are some things in this passage that is describing how we are to live out our Christian faith. That if you are a Christian, you are a called out one from God. This is what your calling looks like. This applies not to pastors, but this applies to all believers who Jesus Christ has called from darkness into his light. So up until this point, and let me go through some of this um, line by line if I can to better pull this apart before we get this application to ourselves. If you kind of look back in the back half of verse 6, uh, because that's really where all this section starts, these words will kind of get us um, kind of moving in the right direction. So the, the text says that, and he was going around the villages teaching. Now, the, the word there is, is, and he, who is he? Jesus, the Lord. At this point in his ministry, uh, it's all been Jesus doing the preaching. It's all been Jesus doing the healing. It's all been Jesus, like, casting out the devils. It's all, Jesus has been the only guy doing all of these, raising the dead, healing the sick. It's just been Jesus. It's just been Jesus being the only preacher of the word of God. And so I think at this point, we're about just a few months away of Jesus being crucified. Now, we're, way, we're, we're not even near that story yet in the Gospel of Mark. But in the timeline of Jesus, like we've only got a few months. And so Jesus is what he is trying to do here is trying to make the, the message, 
go, go out more and more. And so to make it more effective, what does he do? And a great leadership lesson here. He delegates so that the message, so that God's power on display will be made known in more areas. Because at this point, if you need a healing, where do you go? You go directly to Jesus. You, you're not like far from where he is, you go to him. And now Jesus sees this, and he sees how he wants to diminish this, kind of how people are viewing him. And now he's, he's kind of uh, delegating it out among the people. And so what does he do? He sends out common folk. These men had just a few months. These children are wonderful. These men had just, listen to this. this I, I wrap your brains around this. A few months of training. Jesus just had just like, like not even a few months, maybe a couple years of training. They've been walking with the Lord. There, there's, this is incredible. They're, they didn't go through four-year seminary. They, they didn't go, um, uh, they didn't do like formal training uh, in, a, in an astute Christian university. They, they didn't go and sit under uh, for 10 years underneath some, They've been walking with Jesus for a couple years. They've been listening to Jesus' teaching. They've been watching the way of the master. And Jesus knows this, and then he sends them out. Right? That was my child yelling. It's okay. It's fine. All right. Breathe. You ain't got to have some eight-year you know, masters of theology or, you know, four years of seminary and then I got to go and do my Greek and then I go do my Hebrew and then, then I feel like I've been equipped to do ministry of the Lord. Like, like they, they didn't do that. Jesus wasn't like, okay, boys, um, what's your doctrine of soteriology? Boys, um, how do you land on the, um, the, the, the doctrine of eschatology? Because everybody really cares what, what you're going to say. Nobody's going to care what they say about eschatology. What's your doctrine? And, and then like, oh, and go, okay, so we got the doctrines right. Now let's go through our, our church membership process. No, he, he's just been with them. They've been watching him. They've been listening. And Jesus identified, he sees this, and then he sends them out. Like how, like for some of us who feel like we're not qualified, we feel like, well, I don't have the training. Like I, I don't get to, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't publicly speak in front of people. I don't do that. Like, I don't feel like this. Like it's, chill out. God will give you the words to say. This is a calling that is not just for the preacher, not just for the people who have been formally trained. This is a call for everyone. And this is your call if you are a follower of Christ. So young people, if I could just talk to you for a second, like you can go on and get an incredible degree. You can go on to an incredible university and you can get a great job, but those things do not define you. And ultimately, and let me, let me, let me kick your shin for a second if I can. You think God, God's like, oh, oh, Oh my me, like listen, he got an incredible degree. Holy Spirit, empower him more. Like God don't care if I can kick you in the shin. Your purpose, and, and you can pay me all the money that you want to pay in a university, and I'll tell you your purpose. It's, it's, it's to, and then the government will pay you back. And then it's to, um, it's, 
it is to proclaim the message of Christ. <laughs> I had to. Appreciate it. All right, so let me just answer a few questions, and, and then I'll, we'll, I would say I'll be out your way, but it's probably going to take me like an hour to go through all these. That's a joke, parents. Okay, listen to what's, what's happening here. Here's the first thing that our call is. We proclaim salvation and preach repentance. We see this. Let let me borrow from Luke's account of this. Luke chapter 9, verse 2, it says, here's the parallel. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. So so here's, what's what's that message of the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over every square inch. And the message is, If you do not repent and bow your knee before Jesus Christ, then you will ultimately bow your knee before judge Jesus in the end. And you don't want to do that. John the Baptist has proclaimed this. Jesus is proclaiming this. And now he's sent out his 12 to go go proclaim this, that the rule of God is here now. That the rule of God is over every square inch of the universe. The rule and reign of God is over your family. He is over, uh, over your life. He is over this church. He is over every governing authority. He, he's ruling and reigning now. There's another big word that you can go look up later. What theologians would call that is called sphere sovereignty where the rule of Christ as king is over every aspect of human life, where his rule and reign is over the family unit, where his rule and reign is over the church, and where his rule and reign is even over the governing authorities. And so so he sent out his disciples, go out to the villages, go proclaim this message that my rule and reign is here now and that you must repent, that you must declare the salvation of the Lord is here. So he's he's telling them to go, go engage culture with the message of the kingdom of God. He, He did not say, all right, boys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get into a living room, and I want you just to, to just dialogue and just, and just see what it feels for you with this message of the king. How does this make you feel with this message? You know, he's like, listen, I want you to go out in people's faith. I want you to go out and engage culture with the message and the rule of reign of Jesus Christ. My, 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 if the church could understand that, that we are not called to sit in, you know, our comforts of our home, the comforts of this. And and listen, what we do here is incredible. I believe it's called by God that we gather here on Sundays together to proclaim the message of Jesus. But this isn't it. This isn't all that God has called us into. He has called us to be equipped to go engage in the civic realm, to go engage in culture. And that's all places of society. And then he gives them this message, all right, so not only is it this message of salvation, that salvation is here, but it's this really offensive part to this that we really don't like talking about. It's the message of what? Repentance. Now, repentance is an interesting thing. If if they go out and declare this message of repentance, what they're telling these Pharisees, these religious people, is that, listen, you are poor in spirit, you are blinded without, um, without Christ. 
you are in prison without Christ. That's the weight of the message of repentance. It's going, and, and the message is, without Christ, you're imprisoned, you're blind, you, you, you are dead. Repent. Now imagine for the Pharisees, they didn't want to hear this message. Because for them, they had everything they needed in the law, in the Torah. They had it all, they, they had it, that's not a word, children. They had all that they needed in the law, in, in their, their rituals, in, in how they lived their life. They did not need a message of repentance. But this encompasses, this all-encompassing message was to be made known throughout all peoples. And don't think this is just for the disciples. And don't think this is just for church leaders. Like, if you've been called for God, i got to press on this. This is the message that we send. The message of salvation, that Christ has come and he's died and he died for your sins. And the wrath of God that, that should have been aimed, that was aimed at you, it was then aimed at Christ. And Christ redeemed and he, and he absorbed all of the wrath. And so we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ. That's why I love the, the scripture that we, we read earlier in Isaiah 52. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings this good news and who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation is here. That, that salvation is here. The other thing it shows us is that we show compassion. Now look at verse 7. And this is, I got to tease this out for just a second. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. And if, you, and if you compare that down to 13, they were casting out many demons. And, and I'll let your kids ask you what that means. And, and anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So Jesus gave them this, this authority. Like this authority to have command over like the darkness and have command over sicknesses. Now, now that's, that's authority that Jesus has given the apostles. But, but, but I also want you to take just a little deeper look into this. This is also compassion at its finest. All right, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus, even at the end, right? When they were like, well, why aren't you doing all these signs and wonders in the heavens? Like they're making, they're, they're, they're basically just asking Jesus like, well, why can't you make like the sun turn to the moon and the moon turn to the sun and, and move all the constellations and do all these. They're looking for signs and heavenly wonders. But how compassionate would that be? Knowing that you have people who are hurting, who are demonically, de who are de oppressed and possessed and who are sick. What kind of compassion would you be showing to the people if all you cared about was like, I'm going to take this star and put it over here, and I'll show them Pharisees. Like, like nobody cares about those types of things. Jesus is wanting them to show what real compassion. Let's look at real compassion. When you are sick, Pharisees want nothing to do with you. Religious leaders view you as outcasts, as the people who are marginalized in society. Not the way of Jesus. And these disciples knew that. And so they knew they had to get into the dirty parts of culture. And they had to get to where all the sick people are. Get to where the people who are depressed and oppressed and, and possessed. And whatever est word you want to throw in there. Like Jesus is like, boys, you go there. 
And that is showing compassion. That's what it means to follow Christ and to, to have this call of God. I mean, these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they were, they were brutal people. They abused people. These were false teachers. They were merciless, compassionless. They divest widows or anybody else of their last dime. They take advantage of the poor. Gosh, I don't know. That sounds like prosperity gospel preachers. Let, let me, let me um, take all the money and appeal to people who are in poverty, appeal to sick people. But if they'll just give me money, then, man, the heavens will open up. These are the modern-day religious leaders who are pressing on the backs of the impoverished. impoverished. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is not how we show compassion. We're not in it for a dime. We're not in it for money. And here's what he goes into that, because he's going to show us this last part, is how we live dependently and solely upon Christ. So this, this kind of sets this model in verse 8 and 9. Look what he says, And he instructed them, that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. Now, here are the rules for this road. Like Matthew's gospel is like, freely you give, freely you receive. This principle of this never changing is never changing for the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ not seeking to be enriched by people, especially by taking advantage of the sufferings of people, which is like one of the common denominators of all false teachers and false movements in our world. The Bible, in all the way from the oldest books, they mention false teachers. They tell us that false teachers, they're just in it for the money. They're in it for what they can gain. They're in it for what kind of lifestyle they can live. And they're doing it all on the backs of the people of God, who most of them are living paycheck to paycheck, who most of them are, are struggling financially. But these people don't care. They, they want you to give more into their ministry. These are just like the Pharisees. This is why Jesus is giving them this instruction. Like, I know how easy it would be for you to, as you are performing these miracles, like as you are like, like casting out demons, like, like folks are probably going to want to like give you something. Don't take it. Because that's not why we are in this. We are not in this for the money. And I could tell you, like, as I read this, and I've read this before, like I've, it's kind of like eye-opening for me. Like the model of American church is that, you know, we pay like a staff, we pay for preachers, and I don't know, just the way I'm reading Scripture is just a little different. I'm not in this to make money. In fact, I, I don't make money for what we're doing here. I never intend to take a dollar. Daniel, who is probably works harder than me, getting all this stuff uh, facilitated, robbing, getting all this stuff organized. Like, they don't take a dollar from this place. Nor will they ever take a dollar from this place. We're not in it to gain for ourselves. 
And what is this lesson to us? There's, there's one lesson I think Jesus is trying to explain to these people. And I want you to pay attention to this. And it's, and it's kind of a quite phenomenal um, doctrine of providence. And it's just kind of boiled down to this. God will always provide. God will always provide. And that's what Jesus is telling these boys. You don't need to take all of this additional extra stuff. You know why? Because God, in his provision, he will give you exactly what you need. Everything that's mentioned here is kind of sort of grab and go, like don't take the sandals, don't take an extra tunic. And all of these things are mentioned, and and there's an account in Exodus chapter 12 when the people were ready to leave Egypt. The message to them was simple, like you're going to have to go light. You don't need extra stuff. And then there's the same things mentioned there as before. Why do we have this inside of us to where we think that we need more things? when God will just give you exactly what you need. Now, this rings loud and clear for me. I I get this. Like, I I identify with this, and I say, amen, I've seen God's provision at work. When God calls you to do something, and when God has called you and directed you into a different path or a different way, like, I have seen God's provision. Um, When God was shifting many of us to, to move from Georgia to move out here to Utah, um, there was a big problem for me and my family. I was a pastor at a church. We had manageable kind of debt in this big facility. We had, um, I mean, we had, we had things, which we had a lot of things attached to us. Like it wasn't like we were just going to be like, all right, see you later, and just head up into a U-Haul. No, God needed to move in order for us. If God was truly drawing us, in other words, God, I'm going to need you to do something. If this is the path that, God, you are calling us into to go out west and go into you, then, God, you've got to do some things. I always say that the pandemic is, was from God in order so that we could move. And I say that in jest, but the reality of it is, is that God allowed the pandemic in order for us to move out to Utah. I'll give you just a few examples of this, and I'm not saying like God calls the pandemic on my behalf. I, I don't think that at all. But I do think God used it for us so that God would make a way because in order for, for, for us, if God's drawing us and is directing us out to come to Utah, like, some things have got to happen. So then, you know, things are shut down. You're going to go uh, hibernate in place for 7, 14, 31, 85, 3,000 days. And, and so in that, it's the shutdown. Like, we didn't have nothing better to do, so we were just going to go walk. And we walked our neighborhood, checking on people as they were outside. And there was this, this almost said really old guy, but he was just this old guy, just an old gentleman, nice gentleman, right? And, and he kept, and he, he asked me, he's like, hey, I got this church building, and I really want you to have it. I'm like, brother, we don't need a church building. We're fine. Now, this guy was persistent. He was, as Luke 17 describes, as the persistent widow, except he wasn't a woman. Um, so so he's this, here's this guy. He, I'm outside working on my house. Here, here comes Mr. Guy. Hey, you're going you're gonna to come look at this building? I'm like, <laughs> no, leave me alone. And so finally, like his persistence um, finally was like, okay, listen, I'll go look at this building. 
right? And, and internally, I'm thinking, and you better leave me alone after this, right? And so, so we go look at this facility. Well, lo and behold, this was straight from God. I had been praying, hey, God, if you want us to move, then you've got to make a way for some things to happen. And here is God using a pandemic, causing me and Marina to go walk around our neighborhoods and using this guy to always be walking around, finding me persistent as he could be to go check out this facility. Turns out they gifted it to us, causing us to have no debt in the other building because we sold that. And, and then because we're in this lockdown, like I, I you know, can't go visit nobody because, you know, you, you called the popo on you and stuff. So I'm like, I'm just going to finish my house. And so we put our house in the market in two weeks. It's sold. And, and then Marinda's job went in like remote indefinitely. And so here we are a- as a result of God's provision. We had no way we didn't know how God was going to do this. If God was really directing, if he was really drawing us to come out to Utah, like, like, God, you're going to have to shut down the world. Well, guess what? He shut down the world, and he used that. Now, I know that's, that maybe for some of us, that, that period of time has some, some tough baggage for some of us. But what I also know is that God can use the bad things in life and always find a way through them to provide for his people. So we took our little, our SUV and sold everything and beelined it 2,000 miles. You know how we were able to do that? Because of God's provision. God always provides And maybe you're here. Maybe you're thinking, I don't see how there can be a way out of this situation. Listen, Jesus asked them just for the bare minimals. And he's doing that because he's putting them through this testing period. You've really got to trust me in this. Isn't that what God does for us? takes us through these times and these periods of his life. We're like, God, I don't know what you are doing in this. Like, I don't understand. How are you even going to make a way? And the question is, will you just trust him? Will you just trust him to do what he said he will do? God always provides. I'm sure that these disciples, probably, probably, probably some things Jesus has said over the past are probably coming back, back to their memory. Like if, you know, if he feeds the bear, birds, bears, he, I'm sure he feeds bears too. If he feeds the birds of the air, like won't he feed you too? If, if, he, if he clothes the lily of the fields, he'll clothe you, right? Be anxious for nothing. Seek first the kingdom and he'll, and everything else is going to be added to you. This is resonating to these disciples' ears, I'm quite sure of it. And this wonderful lesson in this is dependence on God. Man, is this not like just kind of tear down the narrative of what our culture teaches us today? 
oh, you need more stuff. You don't need two cars. You need three. And then you need a fourth one because you got to have an electric car. You don't need one house. You need one on every corner of the USA. But why? We're, we're, we're not dependent on God. Like We're dependent on our stuff. And what makes us happy in the moment? We're dependent on material things. We're dependent on, I don't know, maybe culture's dependent on, on government to provide. We're dependent on all these different entities and things. And the simple question is just like, are, can, we just not, can we just not be dependent on Christ and trust that he will provide? So we just ask, like, which area of this are you, are you kind of like, you know what, Matthew, like I, you're talking about preaching the message and, and sharing the, my faith, like that just makes me nervous. You know what, that's fine. You're not going to be the greatest orator that's ever walked the face of the planet. You're not going to be the best communicator ever. And you don't have to be. God's not waiting for you to be so successful in life so that he can just like just start applauding you up in the heavens. Well done. Look how well you've done for your life. Got 15 homes. Look at you. No, when you meet him face to face, he's not going to say, oh, well done, my successful servant. It's, it's just a matter of your faithfulness to the call that he's placed on your life. So maybe that's not your, maybe your struggle is in the area of where, I don't know, showing compassion. Maybe God can take the hammer and chisel away at your heart so that you can be more aware of the needs around you in your community. And if you don't know needs in your community, go see Gail, she'll tell you. Be with people who are fully aware of what's happening and in the community. I don't know, maybe your struggle is this living dependently on God, like trusting that he is enough, and then, and then trusting that even in the hard times that he will provide. I, I am a, a witness to that. Where my back has been against the wall. And I've seen some of you where your backs have been against the wall, and all of a sudden, Jesus would make a way. And it's this season of, will you trust him? Will you be just dependent on Christ? Let me pray for us this morning.